Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club. I am your host, well, one of your hosts, Dean, joined by the lovely Miss Boo. Becky, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Dean? I'm doing really good. And just like every week, we take turns picking one of my uh, Dean's art house picks and one of Becky's blockbusters, and we see which one I guess we like better. And also helps us expose each other a little bit more uh, different kinds of movies. And this week it's your turn for your art house pick. It so. is my turn for one of my art house picks. How excited are you for your Incredibly house? excited because I've been trying to get you to watch this movie for a long time and I finally got you to do it. You did, you did. It only took a podcast to get you to get me to watch it. I know, it's, it's really nice. It doesn't have to strong arm you at all. So, the movie we're going to be watching today, it is, it's probably not a traditional art house piece, but it is an obscure indie film that not, I don't think a lot of people have seen. This is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It came out in 2006, uh, I believe it was directed by Scott Glosserman, and I don't think he's done much else besides this as a director. No, I don't mm. believe so. Nah, it looks like this is one of his only big directorial films. Now, beyond that, I really enjoyed this movie. And I've probably seen it, I don't know, probably a couple dozen times, maybe more. Uh, you could find this on YouTube if you're interested. I'm pretty sure it's free up there. Or you can find it on Shudder. You can, in fact, find it on Shudder. That is where I watched it. Uh, That's also where I watched it, too. Mm. Shudder's a great place to find, you know, different movies, like Dean's Art House kind of films, or even, you know, popular films. Uh, yes, we're, we're really trying to bank in on that Shudder promotion. Just need to, just need to get a phone call. Our, our doors are always open. Please, Shudder. We're waiting. Yeah. So, Miss Boo, have you ever heard of this movie before? Prior to you telling me about it? No, I haven't. No? All right, well... What did you, did you like it, dislike it, have any good feelings about it? Well, because it was your pick, I was kind of hesitant about it, but I watched it, and I mean, just with the opening scene alone, it had me hooked, mm -hmm. so I ended up really liking the film. Alright, well, now that we kind of got that little, little bit of things out of the way, let's get into, you know, the plot of the movie. Now, this is your first go of it, so I'm going to let you take the reins. How does this movie start, since you really enjoyed the opening? Well, the movie is a mockumentary. You call it a mockumentary. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely a uh, mockumentary film. It's a little bit of a comedy, a little bit of a thriller, a little bit of a slasher. It, it takes a lot, but it's all done in this um, really interesting mockumentary format. Uh, think of The Office if Michael Scott was just a little more insane. If Michael Scott was a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, think of it like that. That's kind of how this movie wants to, to play its cards. Because there are plenty of, you know, gem faces that uh, our lead character makes to the camera when he's being recorded, so it was nice. It, it You know, I, I definitely watched The Office right after I watched this. <sighs> you gotta get to it now. It's gonna be leaving uh, Netflix at the end of the month. Oh, man. Well, I'll lose my life after that. I'm actually legitimately concerned because you watch The Office more than you watch The Sunrise. Now, That's true. on that note, Let's get going. How's this movie open? So we jump to a, a voiceover of the documentary beginning, and it's our lead actress taking us to different locations that different horror movies have taken place. But in this movie, everything from the horror movies is real. So we go to Elm Street, you know, the, the house where the, the lead actress in that movie, her next-door neighbor lives, and she's trying to, you know, get you know, a couple words from 
that man that lives there. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. We should let you know that we now have a third host on the podcast. His name is, or her name is Bing. She's a little black kitty that we picked up uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, we picked her up the beginning of this week. So she is our new baby and our new uh, mascot for the podcast. Yeah, you'll see plenty. Welcome to the podcast, Binks. You'll see plenty of pictures of her on our social media if you're interested. But yeah. I mean, who doesn't love, you know, kitten pictures? Exactly. They're the, the backbone of the internet. But yeah, so we go through and she's doing this voiceover because that's the, I think that's the main premise of this film's reality that it wants to get across. It's that Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, they're all real in this universe. Yes. All these kinds of serial killers are real and they're treated as real, living, breathing human beings. And I just love, you know, kind of rehashing and, you know, going back to Haddonfield, which is really Pasadena, California. We, we go to Camp Crystal Lake, which is in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But it's just cool to see all these iconic homes, streets, and locations that, you know, we've seen in these movies hundreds of times, and they're actually real places. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that it... Because this movie plays its... It's stuff like right right to the edge of being ridiculous but it never goes over so it is kind of cool and i think you picked you know a good um you know for your first pick for art house i think you picked a good one because it's filled with horror easter eggs and that's like one of my favorite things when i'm watching movies is picking up easter eggs from different movies different series oh yeah like this movie is if you're a fan of the slasher genre the horror genre anything like that you're gonna you're gonna dig this movie there's so many just random references and easter eggs that you're that it gets better the more you watch it um like you were saying the neighbor in elm street that's actually uh, kane hodder who is most famous for playing jason Voorhees in like five or six out of the ten original um friday the 13th films he's jason he is jason yes uh and then we also have um robert uh unglin you know freddy krueger he shows up as a as a main character in this film uh, and we have, oh, I forget the her name, but she's from Poltergeist. Oh, we do have her name. Where is her name? She, sorry, she's she's really famous, and she has like the that very like high pitched voice, and she's like you'll know it when you see her. But as it goes on, so what our main our lead actress, uh, her, our our main character Taylor, she is this grad student who's doing this documentary oh you you found her name yeah her name is zelda rubenstein and she plays mrs collinwood the the librarian in this movie zelda rubenstein zelda's a really like weird like name it's now that i think about the, it from the 20s the, yeah. the 30s yeah that's like one of those weird things where it's like you know zelda huh all right but whatever so but still iconic because i mean you think of poltergeist and you think of her oh yeah so uh, I'm, I'm getting back on my train of thought. We're leaving the station. So what it is is Taylor, she's there with her two cameramen, sound guy, and they are filming for, I guess, their grad school um, film, a documentary about this soon-to-be famous Michael Myers-esque serial killer, Leslie Vernon. And it's out in kind of the middle of nowhere where he, he lives. It's very stereotypical 
middle America town where every one of these slasher films takes place. Like we were saying in Scream, where it's supposed to be in California, but it looks like every town USA. Exactly. And what's when they meet Leslie, who is the most energetic and nicest person in this movie it's really weird because he you... is you wouldn't expect him to be a serial killer you just kind of want to hang out with him and barbecue with him and you mean he opens with a practical joke oh yeah he opens with like a prank on him kind of he's so they come to the house they can't get they like knock on the door and they're like oh is he here and they're like oh wait there's somebody who just like ducked behind the barn and they go over and then they're like wait no one's here look up in the window and you know somebody immediately walks away from the window it's literally the setup to every creepy thing mm -hmm. when you go to like a haunted house thing and then he just kind of pops out from around the corner and goes boo freaks him out and he's like ah oh, don't worry guys i do that all the time come on in and i think that's kind of a really interesting thing this movie does is it examines kind of like a these horror films in a very meta textual way where it's hey you know yeah jason Voorhees, michael myers all this other stuff they're you know magical bestial killers that are you know beyond reason but you gotta think about it how much cardio do you think michael myers has to do to be able to to run down laurie strode in halloween but michael doesn't even run he doesn't he even walks. run he, he's a speed walker so I think that's what people need to watch out for. You don't need to watch out for the people running. You need to watch out for the speed walkers at the park, on the streets. Those might be the, the real, you know, serial killers. I mean, they're always... Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't run, like, that's just weird. But yeah, but that's like the thing, because that's actually a joke in the movie where um, Leslie is showing them kind of how he does his thing, like how he's prepping and what he's doing. And he does, like all this cardio mm -hmm. he does all this like boxing and hand-to-hand -hand training and he reads like Gray's. he reads all these books Gray's anatomy books like things like that you know medical textbooks to know how to efficiently kill somebody and also he learns like magic tricks and things mm -hmm. like that to you know escape disappear get out of handcuffs which is really smart when you think about it well you have to think about it in the context of all these other slasher movies like how is it that, you know, Michael Myers can always get away? Mm -hmm. How is it that Jason Voorhees can, is always around the corner when they're, when the person's running away? How is Freddy always, you know, knows exactly what to do to these people to, to get them to run a certain direction in his labyrinth? And I think that's the thing. It's a lot of this movie, it's poking fun at all the, the mental gymnastics you kind of have to make mm -hmm. for these slasher films to make sense is because wow that that's so gruesome and that kill is so weird but that probably took them like weeks of planning to yeah. do and it's it's kind of interesting and that's kind of where the whole premise of the film is it's you're watching a serial killer plan his uh night of horror mm -hmm. and as it as it goes on it, it's really funny it is yeah i mean i know you're probably envious of his library that we walk into when the, the film begins. Oh. Books everywhere. Oh, yeah. Like, his um, his entire house is, like, this old farmhouse on the edge of town that is just filled with books, filled with, you know, memorabilia, things like that. Because he, he also comes off as, like, a fanboy of, like, mm -hmm. other slashers, of Jason, Freddy, Michael. Which, I mean, you know, I mean, you're kind of a fanboy of horror, too. I, I just like I, horror I movies. I definitely fangirl over horror and, you know, Halloween stuff. 
Uh, well, yeah. But that's kind of the... You know, I think that's the thing. This is just a love letter to, to, to horror films and slasher films. But I think we've kind of gotten through gushing about it once we meet the lead characters. We should really get into a little bit more of this, this plot that we have going on. Miss Boo, why don't you uh, lead us into the next bit of, bit of movie? So we go with Leslie, and he takes you know the, the crew with him to stalk the girl that he's planning on making his lead girl, who's going to survive this massacre that he has planned out at the farmhouse. So he kind of, you know, shows the, the crew step by step how he, you know, mentally starts to starts to mess with um, his victim or his lead girl. You know, just the simple tricks of, you know, observing her and, you know, knowing her routine and it happens just to be a waitress at a diner in town and he stalked her for maybe months to kind of pick up, you know, how she moves, how she acts. And also pick out her crew because he also points out the weird thing about like these slasher films where it's like everybody's crew is always generally the same. It's the thing we were talking about in Scream last week yeah. where there's always the survivor girl, the, the virginal survivor girl that's kind of, um, you know, is going to live. She doesn't do drugs. She doesn't fool around. Mm-hmm. She's very focused and, you know, resourceful. Now, we also have the the slutty character, which let that's the thing about this movie is we know basically nothing about the people we're gonna we're gonna like eventually have Leslie kill. Yeah, and that's kind of a commentary about slasher movies because most slasher movies we know basically nothing about the main characters. Mm-hmm. We just know they're gonna be fodder for the killer. Pretty much, and that's what we get. We have the the stereotypical the stoners, the nerds, the jocks, the hook the like the whore character mm-hmm. the boyfriend character and we have the virginal girl mm-hmm. and he's kind of going through and he's like yeah the reason we get the stoners in we got to pad our numbers here you know everybody everybody's guilty of padding their numbers with the slow stoners but you know it's it's like industry standard no you one always wants weak numbers. no one wants weak numbers and then you have the the jocks they put up a little bit of a fight but that's mostly so you have your you know, it, it, it's not boring, you know. You don't want to just kill stoners all the time. You want you want some, like, quality kills here, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's really funny when he's going through it because it doesn't sound like he's talking about killing people. He sounds like he's um, talking shop yeah. about, like, like hunting or, like, like what oh, like a hobby. He's talking shop about, like, a hobby with yeah. somebody. And it's really, like, kind of weird, but you're kind of into it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of got the hunting vibe, too, when I was, you know, watching the movie. I, I kind of felt like, you know, these, you know, people are, the deer or whatever they're hunting, they're kind of, you know, out in the blind, and we're just kind of watching from, you know, from a distance and just kind of observing, you know, okay, you know, they move in this pattern, they move in that pattern, and it's, no, these are human beings with lives and families, and, you know, he's, yeah, I'm gonna take that one out, that one. Yeah, just but... so nonchalant. I think that's the thing with this movie is that we never get the sense that this is anything unusual. Mm-hmm. And I think that stems from the, from Leslie's perform from Leslie, who's, I forget his name, Nathan Basil? Is mm-hmm. that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I believe it's Basil, yes. Yes. Who is fantastic in this movie. He is. He's perfect for this movie. I, I am so mad I don't see him. I didn't see him in more things because mm-hmm. he is perfect in this movie because he, it's the thing where in Friday the 13th, after, like, a, a while, you kind of start rooting for Jason. Mm-hmm. 
and Michael, it's the same thing where oh, you're yeah. just like, I don't really care about these teenagers. I just kind of want to see the, the, the money shots. You know, oh, how is Michael gonna kill him? Where's the scare? Where's the, you know, where's the setup, the punchline, and the, you know, that the joke. Like that's the thing. Yeah. And with Leslie, you immediately like attach yourself to him because he is all character. Mm-hmm. He is. Um, he has probably like the most character in the film. Even Taylor, who's our lead who's our lead in the film with a female lead we know a little bit about her she's kind of goofy mm-hmm. she's a film student she is do you think she falls for leslie in the film you, you could totally tell I and mean, even between the two of them you could tell that there's attraction there's this connection and i i thought you know they might you know run off together you you really wanted that happy romantic ending I do. I'm a sucker for that. I love you. But, Taylor, would you, you know, classify her as the typical film student? You, as uh, a film student, would you would you say that she's, you know, somebody that you may have met throughout your... Oh, definitely. Definitely. Somebody who's... So, I, I've, you know, fil- I'm a film school person, and she comes off as, like, a typical girl who is in a film school who is working on, like, something. I mean, we... We don't really get a lot to know a lot about her. We don't even know what school she's from. We just know she's a grad student mm-hmm. from film school making a documentary about Leslie. And she's kind of goofy. She's really along for the ride with this. And you get the sense that she's kind of okay with what Leslie's planning on doing up to yeah. a point. Which is kind of scary, right? Yeah, it's a little scary, but it's also kind of funny to see her, you know, go from goofy to when they do their, like, recorded segments, she kind of turns into Barbara Walters. Yeah, she gets really... where does that come from? Well, that's the thing, is she's trying to be professional in those interview segments, because this film has a section of the movie where Leslie is like, okay, you know, or Taylor's like, okay, we're going to be all business, we're going to do the sit-down interviews of how you do your, your thing, and... This is, I think this whole section is just them, like, taking a shit on high-minded horror critics. Because Leslie's like, oh, when we get her to the to the closet, we can't go into the closet. We can't attack her in there because it's safe. And they're like, well, why? Well, it's a safe place. It's, you know, symbolic of the womb. And you're innocent in the womb. And... I'm trying to invade her with my phallic object, and she has to take that away from me. She has to empower herself with this phallic knife to attack me with. Don't you see? She's empowering herself with cock. And it's one of those things where they start talking, like, that weird, like, you took, like, a couple philosophy classes, and then you watch, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you're just on it. And it's, it's fucking great. And I mean, no, and no lie, that is a line in the movie. Oh, 100%. I, I'm quoted it almost verbatim. No meme. And it's it, it's great because you can tell Leslie is playing this as, as like almost completely straight. And Taylor is just kind of rolling with it. And I don't know how much of this movie was improvised or how much of it was scripted, but... That's a great, like, back-and-forth little scene. And it's and there's so much of that stuff in this movie. Um, but let's let's get back to it a little bit, because as we're watching the movie, it's literally 
it's like we're seeing behind like the behind the scenes of how like Michael Myers sets up his mm-hmm. his movies. So which is an interesting concept. It really is, and I think that's the thing I like about this movie because I don't know of any other mm, slash movie that does it in this way. No, where we see the whole movie from the killer's perspective and like like the trivial killer's perspective, not like oh we're in the POV of Michael as he's going around the house like. Or the Blair Witch Project where it's being recorded or paranormal activity. It's like we're seeing, you know, from start to finish how these murderers set up their kills. Yeah, and it first starts with Leslie telling him, hey, this is the, the part where we do the, the fire across the across the port bow. You know, it's the warning shot. Let her know something's wrong. We don't really... She's a little scared, a little unnerved, but not enough for her to, to like, break. And that's the thing where they pull the scene where the survivor girl quote unquote goes out to take out the trash from her uh diner job it's like the middle of the night and it's the thing in every horror movie she goes out she throws the trash in she thinks she sees something in the bushes then the door to the diner she propped open slam shut she turns around what's what was that turns back around to see if the guy's in the bush is still there and he's gone did she really see somebody was she just imagining things? She doesn't know, but she's scared. And she's and she's concerned now. And they play that, that exact scene. And then afterwards, everybody's like, oh my god, that was so cool. Because... I feel so bad for the girl because she's freaking out. I mean, I think that's, you know, a lot of people's fears. You go out to take out the trash late at night or you're locking up for the night. And, you know, did I really see a person watching me? You know, in the bushes, is there someone out there? And then you see, you know, the killer and this film crew, they're all in the van laughing. That was so great. Full I, of energy. I can't believe you pulled it off. Oh my God. That was awesome. And there's also another thing in this movie where it switches from this very strict mockumentary format to we are a, a, uh, actual horror film. And that's one of them where it goes from being like this kind of weird V like weird, um, digital camera recording thing to like 16 by 9 cinema scope where they're filming the horror scenes and that's one of them and it happens every time leslie is doing his thing and it's almost uh i want to say it's almost a visual cue that this is going from taylor's world to leslie's world Mm -hmm. and it's really cool how they do it and and i just like how it's more cinematically pleasing on the eyes leslie's version even though it's you know gruesome and there's kills it's yeah it's a lot more gruesome it's a lot more like there's a lot more messed up things going on like because in this movie like yeah leslie's killing people like that's that's what he's doing yeah and everybody's kind of just rolling with it Mm -hmm. and this is the point so they're doing their thing and then they go over to they're they're doing their interviews leslie's telling them what's going on and then i they're going to the library because that's where the survivor girl she goes to the library kind of late you know she stays a little bit later the library and lets her hang out and that's where we meet zelda that's where we meet zelda who's the librarian mrs collinwood and you know our survivor girl is there asking questions because she believes that she's related to the Voorhees family or no the yeah the vernon family family, and it's great because Leslie sets this up and he's like, hey, so I found this. So apparently this survivor, she had a great uncle who was responsible for the death of my parents. And 
Taylor's like, wait, really? She has a great uncle? Oh my god, this picture looks exactly like her. And Leslie's like, well, she might have a great uncle, but this certainly ain't him. I just photoshopped this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wait, really? He's like, oh, most of what we do is CGI. And that's another one of those random little... You know, kind of in our biz, you know, this is normal, you know. You just use CGI. Yeah. It's a little poke there, and it's really, it is really funny. And then he's like, okay, this is the point of no return because, yo, I'm actually gonna gonna kill somebody. This is the this is the point. This is the first kill of the movie that's meant to scare the shit out of Survivor Girl. Let her know things are for real, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to set up her wanting to be around her friends and getting away and hiding in the abandoned house, obviously for the party to loosen up and all that. Because you know when you're you feel like you're being stalked you know an abandoned farmhouse is exactly where you want to go to feel safe exactly so leslie sets it up he's in the library he kills miss uh, zelda and as he's, he's a, a gruesome kill too, it's right pretty through, right through the back through the neck she just... goes it yeah he goes in with his scythe and just ganks her and as he's about to you know walk up and approach the survivor girl to I guess give her the the scare of a lifetime. That's when Doc Halloran, Robert Unglin shows up and yells Leslie and shoots at him. And then Leslie goes, disappears, uh, suddenly teleports across the library and disappears into the night. And this is great when they go out into the van afterwards. Everybody's freaking out. They're like, dude, who was that? And he's like, I finally got my Ahab. Oh, we're doing it, boys. I finally got the guy who's gonna... He's the good to my evil. And everybody's like, dude, what's that even mean? He's like, dude, it's insane. And it's it's and great. like, who's Ahab? And I, I was just cringing. I was like, oh, Oh, God. it's so good. And I think around this point in the movie, we meet Leslie's mentor, who is Herschel from Walking Dead? Yes, uh, Scott Wilson. Who yes. Who plays Eugene in the movie. Well, I love... Why don't you explain this little bit of the movie for everybody? So, Leslie tells the, the film crew, you know, hey, we're going to go walk over to my neighbor's house. He's a friend of mine. So, we're walking through the trees and just kind of getting, you know, a scope of where he lives, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Which makes it even more creepy because there's nobody around. So, we finally get to the friend's house and his wife, you know, opens the door and you know, very nice woman. She invites them in and she says, hey, you know, my husband's out in the back, you know, why don't you go get him? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's out in the back having a drink or having a smoke. I did not expect to see Scott Wilson being pulled up from a coffin. He and was just, in you know, a... wake up. Yeah, and this is another thing that Leslie is, like, tells him, like, Oh, why is he why is he doing this? Oh, sometimes you go into a sensory deprivation tank to slow your breathing down, your heartbeat, so you appear dead. So, you know, sometimes that's a pretty good good thing to do if you need to hide in an ambulance to get away and then, you know, all that stuff. And they're like, I thought you said he was so tired. Why is he still doing this? And Leslie's like, oh, I have no idea. And I'm like, was that like subtle sequel bait? Was that what was going on there? Possibly. I mean, I just sat there kind of like, this guy just came out of a coffin. Yeah. And they, they dig him up, they pull him out, and he's like, oh, God, I've been in there for, like, three days. And they're like, what the hell? And then it's it's one of those weird scenes where you're like, I don't know why this is in the movie, but it's great because it gives the movie so much texture. But why is he also in a suit? If you're going to be in there for three days, wouldn't you want to be in something a little bit more comfortable? Maybe he's just like, I wanted to be fancy, you know? True. <sighs> Maybe he knew about the documentary and he's like, 
hey, you know, they might wake me up. I better be, you know. Dressed for dressed the success. For the yeah. yeah. And it's kind of interesting because he is supposed to represent that old school slasher killer. I think they say that in the in the movie he's supposed to be Billy from Black Christmas. That's that's the Easter eggs and the hints that he gives off. And he's kind of explains like back in my day it was just about, you know, quantity. You're supposed to get in, get out, you know. Mm-hmm. He is saying, you know, back in the his day, you know, the 60s, 70s, all that stuff, there were no sequels. No. And he kind of like and he likes Jason and Freddie and Michael because they were able to become like an, a legend, yes. like an urban legend within the mythos of their of their films, and all these other things. And it's very weird because this movie is just super meta in that sense, where it talks about when it talks about slasher films. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that he's talking like Billy is talking to Leslie, and it's like, oh, you're gonna be the new you know, slasher success story. Kind of like he's passing the torch to Billy. Or or Billy's passing the torch, torch to, to, Leslie. to Leslie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how this scene comes off of. And this also is one of those weird things because it also feels like Leslie and Taylor are going to go see Leslie's parents. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, a really awkward, like, hey, Mom and Dad, this is my girlfriend I got from college. That That's how the vibe of this scene comes off. Definitely. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. But yeah, I digress. And then we also get, you know, uh, another Easter egg within that scene when, you know, Billy and Leslie and Taylor are all talking, you know, in their living room. We see the, the puzzle box from Hellraiser just, you know, on the, the coffee table. Oh, yeah. Like, again, this movie has a bunch of Blink and You Missed It um, Easter eggs and references, and that's one of them. Well, uh, to take us back to the beginning... You know the turtles, the one going to Leslie's house, he, he talks about his pets, you know, he yeah. has pets that he can eat. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on their names? No, I didn't actually catch their names. Well, he goes, you know, I have my two turtles, um, one of them is Zoe, and I, I thought, you know, okay, Zoe, and then he goes, and this one's Church, and they kind of, you know, stood out to me a little bit. Well, it turns out they're nods to Pet Cemetery. Oh, yeah! So, Church is the cat from Pet, Pet Cemetery, Cemetery, and then Zoe is the dog from Pet Cemetery 2. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Oh, this movie is fucking great. Yeah, so I thought that was just cool. You know, you're, you're throwing in character names, you know, so it doesn't have to be, you know, a prop or a location. It could just be... Super... Yeah. Again, this movie is just filled with that kind of stuff. And then we also have the next little bit of story before we finally go into like act three this is like the, to wrap up act two we find out that leslie isn't actually leslie mm-hmm. he is a escaped mental patient from reno mm-hmm. and he just kind of took up the leslie vernon like persona and legend to i guess fulfill his dream of becoming a serial killer yeah and doc halloran is his psychiatrist from reno who is chasing after Leslie because he knows just how dangerous he is. And <laughs> Leslie's excuse as to why Doc Halloran can't actually turn him in is great. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, he had a restraining order put against him. And they're like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, like, it's, it's just that easy. If he tries to arrest me or call a cops on me or go anywhere near me, he gets arrested. And they're, simple. And I'm like, how does... How, what? How does that work? 
And that that's one of those weird things where I'm like, okay, I guess it kind of sort of not really makes a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a really weird explanation as to like why Doc Halloran can't intervene. Yeah. But again, I'll I can bitch and moan all the about a, a lot of things. This movie's pretty good it otherwise. And, and I love that Doc Halloran and uh, Leslie are, you know, going based off the characters from Halloween, you know, where Leslie's Michael Myers and he's Doctor Loomis. Doctor Loomis. I mean, he's even dressed like Dr. Loomis with the trench coat and the, the sweater underneath. And it's just total Halloween vibes. Well, his name is already a uh, reference to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Doc, that's um, Little Tommy in the movie. Yeah. And Halloran, that's the... It's not... It's um, Scatman Carruthers in, in The Shining, The Cook. Yeah. Yeah. And again, everybody in this movie is a reference to something, and it's great. Another great movie. Shining. Another great movie. You can listen to me and uh, my other friend David talk shit about The Shining and The Thing on the Double Feature Podcast. Go listen to us on Anchor. Give me money. Shameless plugs. Shameless all the way. Yes. And the thing is, is we find out that Leslie's not really who he is. Taylor confronts him. And that's kind of the, ooh, okay. You lied to me. You lied to me. But Leslie kind of just jumps at her and is like, look. We're going to talk about this, but not here. And it is the most, like, intimidating thing he does in the movie. Because he just kind of snaps at her. And it kind of drops that, like, friendly facade. And you're like, oh, wait. She's been following... She hasn't been following around, like, the big fish in the pond. She's been following around a fucking shark. And it's... Ooh, this movie... That's... That one is this the most, like... Oh, God, no. We get that he's dangerous. I mean, even though we have him kill the librarian... This is really the first sense that it's kind of like, oh, you know, better watch, you know, better watch your back. Yeah. And he kind of finally explains everything. He's like, look, the reason I'm doing this is because this is like my calling. It's the trade of the craft. Mm-hmm. You know, what is like my motives are more. I don't even know if he really has motives. It's just something he, he needs to do. Yeah. It's he's so drawn to it and he can't really articulate why. And it's like, he's like, it's my destiny to do this. And I just found the Leslie Vernon myth and I just rolled with it. Mm -hmm. And this kind of is like, Taylor is still apprehensive, but she's like, okay, well, I guess I could follow you to the farmhouse, the last night, the the big event, because she's followed him this far. And... At this point, they're kind of intertwined in that sense where, you know, Taylor might not actually be killing anybody, but up to this point, she's been completely complicit in setting all this up. Yeah, she's an accomplice. Yeah. So they decide they're going to do it. They go to the farmhouse and Leslie, and this is another like lighthearted thing before we kind of get into the killing where he just goes around the farmhouse and is... Yeah, so this is what's going to happen, so... He's like, I've rigged this, you know, I, I have, you know, this um, little barn set up where I have weapons and, you know, I gotta protect myself, so, you know, I unscrewed the, the top of the ball hammer, um, you know... I dulled axe. the axe, you know, yeah. as long as they don't get me good with the first shot, then I'm totally fine, it's gonna break apart. There, he's like, oh, all the trees with limbs that are close to the windows, I've sawed them, so as soon as you put any weight on them, they, they crack and the person will fall. And Taylor makes the obvious claim of, well, why don't they just bust out a window on the first floor and leave? And Leslie gives the most 
perfect horror movie nerd answer to this. He's like, no, they never do that. And she's like, why? And he's like, I have no idea. They just never done it. I've never seen it happen. It's true. Yeah. But uh, on that note. Yeah, they just always run up the stairs. I don't know why, but they do. It's really weird. You know, it can almost set your watch to it. And he also goes into the fact that he's set up the the house so the breaker will, will flip mm-hmm. on, on command. He sets up his, like, base of operations, which is, like, a secret room behind, like, the closet. Mm-hmm. Where he'll be able to get in and out and kind of move around the house without being seen. Yeah. And he keeps going and going. And you kind of get the sense that, oh, shit. These kids have absolutely no chance to survive Leslie. No, he has planned everything out to a T. And that's kind of the thing where you're like, man, I really hope Leslie gets away with this. And I'm like, man, that's that's really cool. Because he's just so likable. He's very likable. And, and you wonder, how long has he been planning this? Has this been years in the making? Has this been months in the making? He's just been dedicated to this one night. It, it's all—it's really weird. It's almost like a a, tr- a a setup to like this is what the human will can do when you put your mind to it. And it's kind of fucked up, but whatever. Yeah, it's still funny in a way. In this yeah. movie, it's funny. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And as it as it goes on, we finally get to like the night. They're up in his base of operations, his his little you know secret room, and he tells them, "Okay, guys." This is going to happen. There's no backing out now. I'm going to walk through this door. I'm going to go in on those two kids fucking. And I'm going to kill them. Okay? And I'm going to leave them in there so the next person who goes in here freaks out, alerts the house, and they start scrambling. And then, I, I'm, then I'm going to start picking everybody off one by one. Yeah. Alright? Are we in with this? And the camera guy and the sound guy are like, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, Taylor, are you in? And Taylor is like... Yeah, okay, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they expected what to happen to happen. I didn't expect it. Where Leslie just says, okay, pulls down the mask, pulls out his sight, walks in, bursts out from the closet, and just slaughters these two kids. Mm-hmm. Just ends their life. Blood, guts, just kills the shit out of them. And then he goes back in, and Taylor's like, what the, f- what the fuck are you doing? And Leslie's like, exactly what I told you I was going to do. Did you think I was joking? You already seen me kill the librarian. Did you think I wasn't going to do this? And Taylor's like, I can't. This is so wrong, blah, blah, And he's like, okay, everybody out of the house. He drags them all out of the house. He's looking at him. He's like, okay, you guys are going to leave because this is my night. You're not going to ruin it. I've worked so hard. Oh, my God. My prom dress. It's beautiful. I'm doing this. And that is how my it comes off. night. This is his night, and he's so excited, and he doesn't want to ruin it. I just love when he starts shaking everybody's hands. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. And I was just like, is this guy for real? Like, it's come on. so, and you believe it. He goes from this, like, psychotic Michael Myers-esque serial killer to, like, the nicest guy at, at the business meeting. And he looks so sincere, too, and kind of sad that, you know, that he's partying with, you know, his friends that he's made in this film crew, and he's like, Never gonna see each other again, but good to know you. Good to work with you. And it's just like <laughs> it's it's crazy. And he even makes the point that he's like, look, after this night, there's I only have three options after this night. Either I'm going into hiding, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to be dead. There's no in between here. Mm -hmm. And you're almost like, I hope he survives. I I hope he gets away with it. Boo's over there being like, I really hope him and Taylor like figure this out and, and run away together to like the Bahamas. Yeah. You're like, I mean, it'd be kind of nice. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But he could hold on his own. Exactly. Which is what he proceeds to do mm-hmm. as he goes back into the house to set up the scene of the crime so everybody's ready. And then Taylor and the, the film crew were like, look, we can't, we can't let him do this. We can't let him kill, like, a, like eight fucking teenagers. Like, they didn't even do anything wrong. We're, he He's just going to kill them for no reason. He doesn't have a good motive. And then they're like, fucking fine. We'll, we'll go take care of it. We're going to go in. We're going to tell him what the fuck's going on and pull him the fuck out. And that's it. Because Leslie will absolutely kill us. Because he's a fucking Terminator. And... This is the twist of the movie that comes up. I mean, I did not see it coming. Same, because it's... This movie is really smart, because you think it's, like, this really, like, kind of funny, awkward, nerdy, like, comedy Mm -hmm. that's, like, yeah, this mockumentary style, and you find out at the end of the movie, you weren't watching a comedy. You were watching a thriller the entire time, and you just didn't notice. Because even when... I look back at it now, and when Leslie's explaining the film, mm-hmm. I realize that it's like, oh shit, he's not talking about the that survivor girl. He's talking about, oh, my head explodes. Oh, me too. Right? And that's when it dawns on Taylor when she goes in. She tells everybody, look, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Everybody move. There's a dead guy. There's, there's a guy going to kill everybody. The lights go out. And then that's when, you know, the lights come back on. The girl comes running out of the basement. She's like, oh my god, she killed, you know, my boyfriend, Mm -hmm. jock dude, as I was about to go down on him. Oh my god. And Leslie's like, and then Taylor's like, oh my god, he's he's moved up the schedule. We're, Mm -hmm. We're fucked. Okay, pulls everybody out, goes to the van and, or the cars, and he's like, oh shit, all the cars are fucking, are dead. Yeah. And Taylor and I was like, okay, fuck of course leslie took all the spark plugs out of the fucking car and that's when leslie approaches that's when he starts doing his thing and then they run back into the house they meet up with the survivor girl the the virginal survivor girl who's supposed to save them all and they begin to find out that the virginal survivor girl is riding the shit out of her boyfriend and that it's not the first time oh by a long shot it turns out that she's daho yes yes so taylor realizes, like oh my god you're not a virgin if leslie finds out we're fucked we're all dead we're all dead and then she dies like trying to jump out the fucking window yeah and oof and it takes a second of them kind of running around the house and figuring things out for taylor to realize oh fuck i'm the survivor girl that's why this is planning out so perfectly for him mm-hmm. it's not that he's adapting his plan to account for us us three we were in it from the start exactly and which is so smart right when you think of you know movie concepts i didn't even think that that was gonna be a possible ending it just went right over my head and when when we finally got there i was just taken aback you know not only by the surprise factor but i was like that kudos to the writers that wrote this movie it's the whole brilliant the whole premise is it's like well what if the 
Survivor Girl in a slasher movie, like, not only knew her killer, but the killer walked her through step by step how he was going to do it. Yeah. And it's great. And it goes on, and it managed to get out of the house. Leslie kills everybody. Mm-hmm. Kills all the teenagers. Kills her film crew. Kills Holler. Well, he had tries to kill Holler when he tries. shows up. And her sound guy tries to defend her, and he just gets knocked unconscious immediately as he tries to man up to to leslie and leslie just drops him and you think taylor you know would have picked up on some of you know the signs of everything going on i mean even eugene played by scott wilson he gives her a bit of advice you know to a survivor you know when he's talking about how people try to run or they try to fight back he tells her run like a motherfucker until the sun comes out and what does she do she runs with the kids to the car. They run into the house. They run into the barn. It's like, if you just listen to Billy and just outrun Leslie, you probably could have survived the night. Which is insane because Eugene, or as a character, because he's the, the mentor character, he's the one we said was play, mm-hmm. was Billy, mm-hmm. is very forthcoming about when, because Taylor asks, like, well, how does somebody survive with you? And he's very forthcoming with it. He's mm-hmm. like, there's really no good way to survive these nights if we're doing our jobs right. But if you want to just forego the plot, you can just run. Yeah, you don't, you know, try to help your friends or help, you know, people that are in danger. You just keep going. You don't look back. Yeah, and it's like, in, in horror movies, or in a lot of slasher movies, yeah, that's a a good, really good way to survive these, these kind of movies. You just leave. But it's also human nature that... You want to help somebody else out when they're in danger, which is, you know, how a lot of people in horror movies die because they're trying to help somebody out. They're trying to fight back and And they get got. And that is kind of Taylor's thing where when she decides everybody's dead but me and I'm going to help myself by empowering herself when she goes to the shed with, with some cock. Yeah. God damn it, Leslie. Even the pretentious bullshit worked. He takes the, she goes in, she takes uh, an axe, Mm -hmm. right, out of the shed, and she's like, okay, Leslie, let's fucking do this. And she goes into the apple orchard that Leslie, the, yes, the womb, the symbolic womb, the birth canal, that you're going to be reborn in on the other side. Leslie chases her down, and Taylor manages to get the upper hand. She actually whacks him with the the axe, but of course the axe breaks right away because it's, it's Leslie. It's been rigged. It's been rigged. But Leslie still goes down for a second to do the whole spooky, oh, you think I'm down, but when you walk away, I'm going to disappear. And he does that. And he she does pretty well, too. Very well. Yeah, no, like, like you know, five solid months of pure cardio and magician work will probably help you with that. Yeah. But, and then they go to, like, this um, cider shed where it has, like, an apple crusher and a grinder to make apple cider. Where it's really weird that that's on the farm, but whatever. They're in well, an apple orchard. They do, so... You know, it's kind of supposed to be there. You know, fresh apple cider, apple juice. Yeah. She goes in there, and Leslie comes in, and this is the, the final showdown. They fight. Leslie's getting the upper hand, and Taylor, through some smarts, clever play, mm-hmm. being able to stab Leslie in the in the side with his own scythe, gets his head trapped into the, the apple vice. Or and she just keeps turning that wheel until you just hear bones break. Until you hear bones break. She lights the whole place on fire, leaves it there to burn. I like that she lights, or she puts lighter fluid on his clothes. Because when we're getting into, you know, right before the kills start, 
Leslie's putting on his makeup before his mask, and he says that he puts kind of like a, a fire retardant in his makeup so that, you know, if someone tries to throw, like, you know, a match or, you know... Something on him. Flame, his face won't catch on fire. And she, you know, obviously remembered that, so she lights his clothes on fire. Well, that's the interesting thing, because did you watch until after the credits? I did. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably, like, the smartest, like weird like well why is he telling us this and then mm -hmm. at the end of the movie you're like oh that fucking lotion he put on his mm -hmm. face that was the fire retardant and it's supposed to be the anticoagulant yeah he probably put that all over his body and yeah. that's why he cut so taylor burns it down she runs outside doc halloran shows up worse for wear he's stabbed and bleeding but the sound guy managed to survive because he's only knocked out and they're all three there looking at leslie burning up and they're like and that's <sighs> and they're our final jump scare you know because Taylor walks out and she's screaming at the flames, but, you know... It, victoriously. It, victoriously, and of course, it's, you know, you have the score, so you don't really hear her scream. You just kind of see her scream, and, you know, because she's triumphantly survived the night. And she backs into Doc and the sound guy, where you get your last, you know... Little jump of, scare. Little jump scare. And they're like, Leslie has kind of achieved his goal. He yep. has become the legend. Mm-hmm. And... It goes in, and then we have the credits roll, and it's of the security camera footage of, like, the mortuary as they're wheeling in Leslie's burnt body to the great song by, um, or it's the great song, it's Psycho Killer by Oingo Boingo, right? It's the Danny Elf, it's Danny Elfman's old band. Is it? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Psycho Killer? Huh. Yeah. Psycho Killer, Qu'est-ce Better run 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 away and it just goes on it's the full song and it's and it's great because it's it goes right into the the movie it's very thematic and it's this and you're like why are we watching this like like mortuary why are we watching the corners office that they're all, bringing all the body was you know that technician i'm like i would not have my back turned to this guy like he just you know slaughtered a whole bunch of people and it's great because as the final credits roll and you see leslie's body lying there in the corners working on like papers of the back turn you see leslie sit back up he does a perfect michael myers setup oh and then it, it just cuts the black and like that sequel bait right there and it's like oh this movie's so good it, it came is. out in it came out in like two, yeah. It came out in two thousand six, and I don't think we've ever gotten a sequel to this movie. I hope we get a sequel. Yeah, I mean, we haven't we haven't gotten one. It's been fourteen years, and I'm pretty sure all the actors, well, at least uh, Nathan Basil and Angela Gothas Gothals, mm -hmm. uh, who plays Taylor. Yeah. They, I'm pretty sure they've moved on from like this kind of movie because this is a very low budget like independent film never know i mean you know it, it'd be so nice it, to see them come back it's loved by a lot of people so you would think you know as the two stars they might come back you could do it where she thinks that you know she's survived this night she's outlived him but really he made it he's kind of been watching her from afar kind of like you know michael I, and uh, laurie strode it'd be so it weird ends. though because i think this because then that gets into the traditional like slasher like genre ideology of the sequels and it's because this movie is so, like, perfect as, like, this self-contained story. Mm -hmm. Even the little, like, sequel-baity jump scare at the end, mm -hmm. that goes right in line with that meta thing of, of course this is going to have a sequel-bait at the end. Mm -hmm. All these slashers have a sequel-bait at the end. Of course they do. And it'd be so weird. I almost want to see, like, another one of these where it's a different, like, killer and a different 
crew, but then that might just be a kind kind of feel a little hollow. Yeah. Because that's what makes this movie work so well. It's the combination of this really smart, like well written, like mockumentary, mm-hmm. and it transforms into this slasher thriller at the end, and you realize that you were never watching a comedy. Mm-hmm. You were just, and it's it's so good. But I digress. I think I've made it pretty apparent that I love this movie. I this is you know. In, in my echelon of, like, top slasher films, which is, you know, in terms of, like, meta slashers, you know, with your screams and all that stuff, I like I like this more than more than screams when we're talking about meta slashers. But, boo, this was your first experience. I think I know you liked it, but where do you think this would rank in your horror movie fandom? I'd give it 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10? See, I told you, you should listen to me more when I tell you to watch movies. I'll try. We'll see your next pick. I may, you know, not agree with you too much on your next one. Oh, my next... Uh, if you want to spoil it for everybody, I... No, no, we're not going to spoil it. It's going to be a... It's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a rough one to get through. I yes. will applaud you. So, but yeah, I would say this is like 10 out of 10. Great movie. But I think it's, it's weird because this movie, it's... I think it's good for like you and me because we're big into like slashes and horror movies and all that stuff we appreciate it's like commentation on trolls we appreciate the the characters how much they fall in line with these and all the references this movie i feel will be gets better and better the more into horror films you are and it also you know kind of goes along those lines of you know you love horror but these classic characters like jason and michael freddie you're fans of their movies, but you're also fans of the killers. Yeah. They come back. They are... The They're stars. the main characters. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that this film kind of does perfectly. It is the perfect film for fans. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're if you're watching it and you're not a fan of horror films and you're not a fan of those slashers and things like that, you probably won't get a lot out of it. I think that's probably why this film did so... Mm, so mm, weird when it got when it came out yeah i mean it's worldwide gross was sixty nine thousand one hundred thirty six dollars so it didn't make a ton of money yeah i mean its budget was only like 40 grand yeah it yeah its budget was like 40 grand so this was a a super low budget film yeah in terms of like any kind of studio standard 40 grand is not a lot and then you have like and then you know it's like it grows seventy thousand. That's also not enough to get you a sequel. No. So it's it's so weird when you look at these at this movie where you're like, man, the writing's like on point. Mm-hmm. The directing's really solid. Because I'll say this, the directing's really good. Oh yeah. I'm surprised the guy didn't get, do anything else after this. And then all the actors like hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Like I'm surprised the gentleman who played Leslie. I keep having to go back. Nathan Basil. I'm. I don't know what else he's done after this. I don't, cause he looks familiar, but I don't think he's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, he's just been on a lot of TV. A lot of TV. That's probably why I recognize him so often. Yeah. Oh, he's seen... a. Oh, he works post production. That's probably why. Oh yeah, he's. Wow. Yeah, he's pretty much just on like television. He's so, man. That's so. That makes me kind of mad because he's he was like really good in that film. 
which is kind of great too because you can't say oh you know i've seen him in this romantic comedy i've seen him in this um sci-fi movie he's kind of just one of these people i've never seen him before and i haven't seen him again afterwards so it kind of feeds into this character of, it, it's know, the whole thing where it helps when you cast i guess not no name actors mm-hmm. but really lesser known actors because it helps you get into the character more mm-hmm. and Man, it feels kind of bad because he was like really good. I I, I kind of wish he got a lot more work after that because I think he has a really good comedic timing and range. Well, I mean, we're seeing that he's had more work after that, but not as a, you know, leading man. Leading man. So this may have been a thing where he kind of maybe wanted to do it like one time, just kind of put it out there. And I mean, well, in my you know, in my perspective, I, I think he knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, like I think everybody in this film, even the the paper thin like kill like the vic- paper thin victims mm-hmm. they're they're still good yeah. they play their trope to the to the hilt mm-hmm. and also robert unglin is a fantastic actor yes, which is, is really really weird when people are like oh it's freddy krueger he only plays freddy krueger but he's a classically trained like theater actor mm-hmm. like he he's it, treasured it's it's really weird when you he- have you ever watched robert unglin do like interviews or whatever about mm-hmm. acting he goes like, oh, yeah, well, you need to get into the psychology of the killer. Sometimes I'll uh, go in, I'll do, like, exercises, and I'll, and I'll try and become one with the character. And I'm like, bro, you're you're playing fucking maniac cop. What, what are you, what's the backstory you're, you're doing here? Like, bro, you're Freddy, you're Freddy Krueger. You're popping one-liners and cutting up teenagers. And he's like... No, once I put the mask on, I have to get into the zone. I have to become Freddy. And I'm like, bro, this isn't King Lear. You're fine. And it's, it's great. It's just, not. Just Rob- Freddy. It's Freddy. Just ro- literally just go out and watch Robert Unglin interviews and you'll know what I mean. Because that guy is is deep. And yeah, I think that's what a good way to, to put it. This movie, it, on the surface, it's very much a kind of weird little detour in like slasher films and like meta slashers but it's so good it's deep as sin it's mm-hmm. fun it's smart it's funny and this is why i highly recommend it because scream is this scream is this idea done straight mm-hmm. and this is probably the look everything goes out the window everything is is being thrown in let's really cut these slasher movies to pieces mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, following Scream 5 or Scream 4's premises where, you know, the murders are being streamed. So we're getting that in this movie where, you know, the... the, the somebody owes somebody some fucking money. That's what we need to do. Yeah, well, this one came out before Scream 4, so... Yeah. Don't want to say anything, but we're, we're kind of in that same, you know, thought process of, you know, hey, we're jumping into the future. So not only am I going to be a legend, you know, amongst all these killers... But we're going to have it where it's it's viewable. You know, you can watch it on the news. Um, you can see the documentary. Except I don't know if if I were, you know, that professor getting that as, you know, this is my, my film that I'm turning into you. A whole bunch of kids being murdered. He's like, did you just turn in a snuff film? Were you an accessory to a murder? <laughs> I, I had to get an A on the project. I mean, you're getting an A. This is quality work. And I'll, I'll put it... I'll, we'll end it there. This movie, if K- Taylor turned this in as her thesis film, A+. Yes. A-plus film. And I guess that will kind of round us out on this week of the 
Film Club Podcast. Boo, why don't you tell the people out there where they can find us, follow us, and anything else we're going to be doing. If you want to follow us for the latest information, um, I really need to write this down. (laughs) If you want to follow us for latest episodes, uh, follow us on Anchor or follow us on Spotify. And for, you know, kind of behind the scenes and just bonus content, follow us on Instagram at the Film Club Podcast. And on Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. All right. And hopefully sooner or later we'll be able to spread us out and get you some sponsors. But until then, you can follow us and listen to our podcast on Spotify, Anchor.fm, and Google Podcast. But until next week, boo, stay scared. Stay